Well, hello there. Welcome back to the Claim the Stage podcast, or if you are here for the first time, welcome. Nice to have you. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host. I'm also a professional speaker, an author, and the CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. And the Claim the Stage podcast is all about public speaking and how we can be better at it, how we can enjoy it more, how we can work with fear to make it a more exciting and rewarding experience for everyone, and how to make money doing it, and all the stuff that comes along with being on stage and being in front of others. So today I have an episode for you that covers a topic that there's a pretty good chance you're familiar with if you're a public speaker, and that topic is the inner critic. Have you heard of it? Maybe someone you live with, (laughs) maybe someone you have breakfast with each day. This inner critic is a part of what shows up when we do things that are risky. So I have a guest today, Pam Herb Melville, who's very familiar with the inner critic and helping her clients to get it out of the way so they can speak from the heart. So today's episode is kind of a hybrid. We're going to talk about the inner critic. Is it useful? Can it help us in some way? What's the point of it? And why the heck does it exist? And we're going to talk about how we can speak from the heart in spite of or, you know, alongside of the inner critic, because I don't think we can ever really get rid of it. But how do we sort of like move it over a little bit so we can shine from our heart? This was a really fun episode to record. I love talking with Pam. Pam has such an interesting story and her whole background is so unique. And I think you'll enjoy hearing how she got to where she is today and some of her observations, which really helped to make her an expert and someone who just has her own perspective on the subject that I hope will give you something to chew on for your own journey. I have a couple announcements before we jump into the interview. Number one, you know, analytics are so awesome. I have to say, I'm so busy booking guests and recording episodes and posting episodes and and kind of getting the podcast moving along that I don't often look at the analytics. So shame on me. But here's something I learned. We have listeners to this podcast that you're listening to right now in 67 countries. Hello. (laughs) At first I was like, yes. And then I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, (laughs) that's pretty scary. (laughs) Very excited though. That's so cool. If you're listening from anywhere on the planet, I just want to say thanks. If you're not on the planet, Hey, cool. cool, Good job finding us. I don't know how you did it, but so great to just have listeners all over the world listening and to claim the stage. If you're from a faraway place, please email me. I'd love to hear from you. Angela at speakersisterhood.com. Another update I wanted to share is my tiny summer challenge update. Last week or two weeks ago now, I posted a bonus episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, you might want to check it out so you know what I'm talking about right now. That episode shared my challenge I'm taking to not only recognize my boundaries, but also express my boundaries in the moment that they're being crossed. (laughs) And I asked you to join me on that journey and take the challenge as well. So I have two quick updates on that. I had a difficult conversation with someone who called me to pick my brain. And if you're a speaker or a coach or consultant or, you know, have some level of expertise in some area, you've probably been faced with this phone call or email in the past. Someone saying, I'm really impressed with the work you do. I love what you're, what you're doing. And 
I'd love to take you out for a cup of coffee and pick your brain. (laughs) And I mean, when I first started my business, I was like, I was flattered by those emails. and I thought it was really nice. And then what I realized was those conversations were an opportunity for them to get free consulting. And I recognize there's a difference between informational interview and people just wanting to gather everything they can from you without paying for it. So I often will ask more questions about what they're looking for because I do want to help people. But I've spent many hours being compensated for my work with a cup of coffee. And so now my boundaries are really clear on that. I rarely go out for coffee with people so they can pick my brain. And I'll ask more questions about what they're looking for. And if it sounds like what they want is free consulting, I'll tell them my rate. That that's how I do it. I get paid for that information. And then the conversation goes in one of two ways. They either agree to pay the rate or they say, "Um, no, thank you. And we get off the phone. And the best thing about it is I've saved a lot of my own time. And I haven't allowed someone to take advantage of that time because they didn't feel like, you know, reciprocating for the value I'm offering. And I've had many conversations about this topic with friends who are also business owners, and we all kind of carry a different point of view on it. But what's most important is that I know my boundaries. And if you're someone who feels like you're saying yes all the time and people aren't compensating you for your work, you may want to consider, is that comfortable for you? And if not, where do you want to set your boundary? And I also recently said no to a speaking engagement because it was outside of my focus area and it was going to take up a lot of my time and it wasn't with a group that I'm really trying to focus on right now, not only the topic, but also the people in the room. And while I recognize I'm in a profession where I could probably help everybody because who couldn't improve their communication skills? I need to protect my time and focus on my goals too. So saying no to that speaking engagement was a a way to express my boundaries and also honor my own plan and my commitment to that plan. So boundaries are not only about stating what you do want, but also what you don't want. And that's a really important distinction too, right? We're, We're always having to recalibrate and think about what do I need in this moment? What's important to me? Over the weekend, speaking of saying no, I listened to the Dear Sugars podcast. Have you ever heard of that? It's one of my favorite podcasts. It's featuring Cheryl Strayed. She's the author of the book Wild and Steve Almond. And together they answer letters from people about their life, about relationships, about career decisions they've made, their future. And on this particular episode, they dig deep into this whole concept of saying no And guess who their guest was for this two-part series? Oprah. Yeah. And Oprah is amazing. Oprah went deep into how this, this topic of saying no has been the single hardest lesson for her to learn and that she's constantly challenged by it. It's something that comes up for her all the time, and she's always working to pay attention to what she needs and being honest about her, her decisions, which I love. So if you haven't checked that out yet, really great episode, Dear Sugars podcast. It's on iTunes. I'm sure it's a bunch of other places. And uh, Oprah is just awesome. I loved everything she had to share and how vulnerable she was. And I'm sure that you'll get something from that if you check it out. Last update slash announcement. 
We have new Speaker Sisterhood clubs launching. And if you're like, what the heck is the Speaker Sisterhood? The Speaker Sisterhood is my company. We're a network of public speaking clubs for women. We have a new club launching in Portland, Maine, and another in the Boston, Mass area. So if you live in one of those two places and you're interested in practicing your public speaking skills with like-minded women, definitely go to our website, speakersisterhood.com. You can check that out. We also have another club opening soon in the Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania area, and another in Springfield, Massachusetts. So if you're interested in checking those out, go to our website. Or if you're thinking, well, how do we get a club in our area? Good thing you asked. You can start your own. We will, t- we will teach you how. So if you're interested in starting your own public speaking club for women, email me. We can chat about it. You don't need to be a professional speaker to do it. It's helpful if you have facilitation background, a sincere interest in helping women, and some time to commit to it. So if you want to chat, just send me an email, Angela at speakersisterhood.com. So that's it for my announcements today, you guys. We're about to jump into this really cool interview I did with Pam Herb Melville, all about the inner critic and how to move it over a little bit so we can speak from the heart. Enjoy. Pam Herb Melville, the president of PEM Communications, is a highly sought-after international speaker, executive coach, and master instructor in business communication skills. She's an expert at helping speakers, whose message is complicated, create and deliver their ideas in an elegant, simple, and highly impactful manner, which hits the target with their audience and motivates them to take action. Pam is a contributing author to the book, The Full Force of Your Ideas, Mastering the Science of Persuasion. Early in her journey as a presenter and at the beginning of her life in the Big Apple, she performed off-Broadway and in soap operas, toured with the National Shakespeare Company, and was seen and heard in TV and radio commercials. Pam traveled throughout the U.S. and Canada as a spokesperson and presenter for Pepsi USA. Pam, welcome to the show. Thank you. It is such a pleasure to be here, Angela. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you here. And when you and I first spoke a few weeks ago, you told me the story of how you got into this type of work. And I would love for you to share that story here today because it's a great example of an unlikely turn of events and also what it's like to say yes to something that you really don't know anything about (laughs) or don't really know what to expect, but go for it anyway. Yes, thank you. This, you know, it really is a great example of just say yes. I came to New York from Ohio to be an actor and I acted for 10 years. And as the years went on, I got a little more successful in terms of making money, but I still had to waitress. And I had this feeling of, I'm just not doing as much as I could with my life. Doggone it. Why don't they want to cast me? (laughs) And at one point I thought, all right, this is it. I made the most I'm ever going to make as an actor. And I hired a career coach to help me get out of acting. Because honestly, I had a master's degree in acting and directing. It's all I ever wanted to do. And I didn't know what else I could do. And this gentleman was so fabulous. And he actually said to me, corporate trainer at one point. And I said, what's that? I had no idea. That was not my first stop. My first stop was working for a producer and I gained a lot of skills around how do you manage a database? How do you raise money? How do you manage a theater company? How do you get the bunk bed set up in the barn for the theater kids that are coming in to act? 
So I learned a whole lot of what ended up being business skills, mm -hmm. computer, computer work. When he stopped producing, there I was again. Now what am I going to do? And I met the man who became my husband eventually, Mr. David Melville. And he was a New York City tour guide. A friend of mine had said, Pam, you got to meet this guy. He's a tour guide. I bet you could do that. And I said, okay, yeah, I could see that. David introduced me to the idea of how to become a tour guide, helped me gain the knowledge I needed to get my tour guide license. Yes, you have to be licensed. Oh. And I started a business of being a step-on guide. So I stepped on inbound buses and became their guide for the four hours or the day or the two days or the week. And in the summer, I supplemented my tour guide money by being a tour guide on the circle line. And I had to audition for that. So it was back to being an actor and saying yes and flying back from a, visiting a friend in LA, cutting my visit short to audition for the circle line. And I became one of two women out of 10 fellas who was one of the tour guide circle lines. I loved that job. I was out on the river around Manhattan telling the wonderful story of New York City. And one day, a man came up to me with his two little girls in tow, and he thrust his card into my hand, and he said, I think you're great. I think you could do what we do. And I took his card, and I said, well, what do you do? <laughs> he said, we train executives. Why don't you come and take our course, be my guest, call my secretary, and see what you think. And... Just like that little ding that, yeah, the light bulb went off. I called him and I took the class. And by the first break, I realized, oh, my gosh, I could definitely see myself doing this. And then my second thought was, holy cow, this is another audition. Yeah. And it was. They kept, they kept the VHS tape. In those days, we taped off of these gigantic film uh, cameras and VHS tapes. And they hired me and I worked for them for 10 years and they taught me everything, how to, how to teach presentation skills, business writing skills, negotiating skills, selling skills. So I really filled my tool bag with all of the knowledge I needed to help other people communicate for a specific result, whether it's written, face-to-face, and fast forward now, 21 years later, here we are where we can't even see each other. And there's specific skills you need to be effective on a conference call or a WebEx or a podcast. And certainly when you have the video camera running, there's certain things you have to be aware of there too. So I continue to grow my skills with the technology and I'm happy to say the VHS tapes are long gone and we use iPhones now and SD cards and cameras that are much smaller. Mm -hmm. So that's the story. Just say yes when they when they give you a card and say call my secretary, why not do it? Yeah. When they say come back and audition, fly back and audition. Yeah, and I also love how that story illustrates how communication skills are so valuable for so many different reasons. And they, having that skill set of acting and being able to present yourself has made you eligible for so many different types of jobs in your life that maybe you didn't even know about. One question I have is how you knew after just 
starting that training by that first break that this is the type of work you wanted to do? Was there something in particular that stood out to you that made you think this is for me? Well, I watched very closely. There were two instructors in front of the room. One was a man who became my mentor, and he's still alive, and I love him, and we go out for lunch three times a year. And the other was a woman, not too much older than I was at the time, and I watched them closely to see what were they doing. And I emulated the woman when I had my the first videotaping, the taping of me presenting myself, introducing myself. And I could just see that, you know, it wasn't too different from directing people. The class ended up being about them coaching and directing and us watching ourselves on videotape and becoming aware of what we're doing. And they gave us some great options of new things to do. And we got to see what was the result. There was something, I think perhaps because I was lucky enough to have been an actor, the fear of standing up in front of an audience, while always it's there, I knew how to manage it a little bit. And I do enjoy being in front of an audience. Every one of my careers has been about being in front of an audience. But Angela, it doesn't mean the inner critic doesn't start talking to you. My inner critic said, how can you tell them what to do? You don't know how to teach anybody. Or how can you go into Microsoft? What do you know to teach them about how to be a communicator at Microsoft? Or how can you go into that insurance agency? How do you know anything about insurance? So there was always that voice trying to nick away at my confidence. And I had to learn how to deal with that voice too, the inner critic. Yeah, well, that's a perfect segue to our topic today, which is how to kind of deal with and understand and work with the inner critic. So I would love to know what the, let's just start with what is the inner critic and why does it exist? Yeah, my, my philosophy is the inner critic is that voice you hear. It's yourself talking to yourself, although sometimes it sounds a little bit like your mother or a teacher or some other person that spoke to you a lot that never has a good thing to say. It's that voice, not that our mothers didn't have good things to say, but you know, there was always that one thing that they talked to you about that stuck with you, sit up straight, you know? Yeah. And go ahead. You, you had a, I was an inner say, critic experience. My mom always talks about my hair. She always says, so what are you doing with your hair? What is that? What are you doing there? <laughs> so, what's, what's that all about, Angela? What is that? <laughs> yeah, so I notice when I'm doing my hair in the morning, I have my mom in my head going, what are you doing there today? What is that? <laughs> yes, yes. So it's almost like it, this voice lives on a bandwidth in your brain. And the higher the stakes, the more you feel exposed to maybe be revealed as an imposter, the more you step into the unknown, the louder the voice gets. So those speaking situations where you have that voice saying, what do you know about this health insurance company? How can you be of value to them? You don't even belong here. That's the voice that I'm talking about. Mm We all have it. We all know what it's like. Hey, all you have to do is be videotaped, introducing yourself, and that voice pops up, and it gets really loud. The problem with the inner critic voice is sometimes it co-ops our brain, our ability to think, and definitely 
our ability to feel. And I am all about speaking from your heart. So if there's a disconnect between what I'm thinking and how I'm feeling about it and how I'm feeling about the value for the audience, I've got a problem there. Then I'm, I've, I've kind of shut down part of what's the best part of me that needs to show up and have voice. So before we jump into how to connect with that feeling in the heart, I wonder if the inner critic can help us in any way. Do you think that's possible? Maybe. It's certainly always there. I think that your higher knowing that there's another bandwidth in your brain and it really is more connected to your intuition and your heart needs to take a good look at what's the inner critic telling me. And if it's just knocking me down because my mother thought I had stringy hair or didn't trust that I would wear it the right way for the right occasion or wanted to make certain that we were represented properly, (laughs) then, you know, you got to really look at what is the inner critic saying. So I think having consciousness about it and then being selective, because at the end of the day, it's not about you personally. It's about what's the value that you can bring to your audience. So for me, if I hear the inner critic, it's a wake up call to say, "Okay, Pam, what's this really about? What I'm speaking about is for this audience. Where is the value for them? It's not about you, girlfriend, so stop worrying that they're going to think, you know, who are you? It's about them. Where can you help them connect the dots and have an aha moment? Mm-hmm. Do you think women are different than men in the way we protect ourselves when in reaction to our inner critic? Well, I think physically we're different, but men absolutely have an inner critic too. They respond to it. They, uh, men and women have learned how to behave differently since they were kids learning how to play. And for men, it's more of a game. And women, little girls are more about relationships, even if it's with their inner critic. So the good news is they, women can make the transition to build the relationship for the value of their audience. They can relate to that. But how women are really different is the way they protect themselves in the face of the voice in their head. And they literally physically shut down. They will cross their legs, even if they're standing. They'll cross one leg over the other with the very first word. They'll pull their elbows in and Velcro them tightly to their sides. They will have their hands clasped in front of them in aria position if they were an opera singer. And maybe they'll have a gesture or two, but they will be quick little runs outside and then boom, back protecting really their heart. Hmm. And if everything shuts down, their voice will often get softer and faster. Both men and women need to learn how to use the power of the pause. There's no doubt about that. And you find that that's harder to do when you're kind of reacting to the inner critic. I think it's a wake-up call. I think if you are in relationship with the voice inside of your head, the first step is focus outward and get in relationship with your audience. Hey, they invited you there. That's your purpose. 
for that five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, or four hours. Your purpose is to be there and be of service to them. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? Well, you do it with your eyes. You really look at them. You have to be careful not to be creepy. Don't get fixated on one person and only talk to one person. You don't want them thinking they're you're going to follow them home tonight. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it's there's a mantra that I teach. It's one thought to one pair of eyes. Mm. And then pause, inhale, and while you're breathing, move your head and find someone on the other side of the room and lock your eyes on them and give them the next thought. The pause, the length of the pause is relative to how big is the room, how much thinking time do you need, and it's really usually regulated by how much time does it take to inhale. Hmm. So I'm wondering if there's any way to escape from the inner critic, or how do you manage it? Mm, I think with my inner critic, I, when I hear her talking to me, I usually say, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Because that's part of me. It's a wake up call. It's a wake up call that I'm not focusing in the right place. And I just gently put her on the shelf and I focus out for, outward. One of the first things that you can do is get present. I have been practicing yoga for a number of years. And for me, the first thing you need to do as a presenter is get connected to your the, the Mother Earth, if you will, or get connected to the seat that you're sitting in or the floor that you're standing on. So I become very aware of how am I standing. And I will choose a stance that's certainly not too broad, but it's about hip distance apart with my feet and I'll feel the earth below me just to get present. I'll put my hands down to the side to open up my heart, my lungs, my liver, my the all of my inner organs. And that tells my inner critic, "Hey girlfriend, I am so confident I can reveal all of those organs that make me tick to this audience." There's not a woolly mammoth out there that can eviscerate me. That's how confident I am. And it really helps. It sends a message to the primordial part of my brain that the first part of the brain that was developed when we were little human beings, just standing up from all fours, that gave us cortisol, the hormone that's released when we sense we need to get the heck out or stand up and fight. It's the fight-flight hormone. Hmm. And if you prepare yourself by opening up and taking an open stance to begin with, it settles that inner brain down that's attached to the the inner critic, and it lets them know, hey, there's a new sheriff in town. I'm in charge here. Breathing is important, too. So being willing to really deeply breathe is going to be an important part of maintaining your confidence. I have a question for you, Pam. Do you do this before every talk, even today, or is this something you had to do early on when you were learning and getting comfortable with speaking? Well, I think it's something that I learned to do. It's part of presentation skills is taking a balanced stance and opening up your heart, learning how to breathe and locking on with a pair of eyes. But something I've learned recently in 
about 2013 was how to prepare before I go into a presentation. And that's an offstage preparation. And this is really cool. It's really awesome. Amy Cuddy, who is a professor at Harvard University, wrote or delivered a TED Talk back in 2013. It was one of the top TED Talks. And I would recommend all of our listeners to Google that and listen to her 20 minutes. It was 19 minutes. And she wasn't all that great of a speaker at that moment. You could tell there was cortisol running through her body. But she was so enchanting. And what she talks about is how to power pose before, as a preparation before a high-stakes speaking situation to increase not cortisol, but testosterone in your body. So what's a power pose? Think of a big letter X, and that's how you would stand, with your legs spread eagle and your hands up in the air like a cheerleader. You could also put them on your hips like Wonder Woman. Either of those poses are a definite power pose. And you can lock yourself in the stall in the ladies' room before you walk out on stage. It's she's Her study proved that in two minutes you can change the hormonal content in your body. She did it by taking saliva samples. So if you if you sit worried in the audience in the hallway, crunched over, you'll increase your cortisol, fight, flight, freeze. But if you go and prepare yourself by standing in a power pose, you'll have elevated testosterone. So that was pretty awesome, but wait, there's more. <laughs> she then gave her, her subjects a little easy game of chance to take. And what she discovered is those who had been in a power pose not only elevated their testosterone, but when she asked them after they did a game of chance, 50-50, you win and lose, hey, how'd you do on that? They said, I nailed it. I was awesome. I did a really good job. And those that had been in the low power poses that had elevated cortisol, when she asked them, hey, how'd you do on that? They said, oh, yeah, not really. I uh, probably, maybe I could do it again. Nah, you wouldn't want me to do it again. Hmm. And their self-perception, how they perceived themselves was dramatically different. So take a couple of minutes. Two minutes is a long time to be standing. You'll find your arms may get a little tired. Put it on your smartphone. And here's my secret. This is my add-on. Two minutes could be a long time for your inner critic to be saying, you're going to blow this. You're not prepared. They're not going to like you. Because that negative self-talk will just release cortisol. So I have a mantra. And I repeat my mantra over and over silently in my head for the two minutes. And my mantra is... Let everything I need to know be available to me. Get me, my little inner critic, out of my way. Let me be of value to this audience or to this class or to this group of people. Mm -hmm. And then I repeat, wash and rinse. I just say it over and over until the iPhone goes off. I love that. That is a was a wonderful mantra. It's calming, but it's also empowering, and it keeps you open. Mm -hmm. How during the presentation, how do we maintain that strong presence we built before we got on stage? 
Oh, that's super smart to be curious about. That is, that's where, that's the secret sauce. So if you've been power posing and you're feeling like I can do this, I'm going to bring value to them. Don't shut down. So don't Velcro your elbows. Don't cross your legs over. Don't reintroduce those closed off low power positions. Use some real estate. You've got the air around you. Use gestures. Show your audience what you mean. If you're talking about increased opportunities, let one hand stay at the side. Keep your heart open and use your other hand and show a bar chart that, or a flow chart that's rising up and, and drifting off to the upper right-hand side. Extend your hand. So use the space around you to help your audience see what you mean, but also to keep using big gestures, not choppy gestures. They need to be smooth. They need to be, they need to show the audience what you mean. There could be three things you want to talk about and you tick them off, not on your fingers, but on your, what I call the invisible whiteboard. That space that surrounds you, put it out there on the invisible whiteboard, like you're putting three thumbtacks in a good six inches apart in space. And that's how to keep the the testosterone going, flowing, or at least not shutting down, is to embody your message. Learn get learn a vocabulary of gestures. Mm-hmm. That's what I teach. I love that. So we've talked a lot about the inner critic. Now let's talk about how to energize your message and speak from the heart. How do you do that? It's totally connected with your mindset with your mindset about where is value for the audience. So you need to know your audience. You need to be aware of what are their top care abouts. It's not about you. It is about them. So where do they have a problem or an opportunity that you can address? And what's top of mind for them? Build your message to speak to the heart of that matter their concerns. And then when you're speaking, make certain that you embody that message, that you build the your message so that it demonstrates that and you speak from your heart by connecting to your body and you can feel it too. Don't stay in the executive functioning part of your brain. I love that advice and I totally agree that understanding what your audience needs is what helps you to connect with them and then also bring the information and inspiration out of you that they really need. How do you prepare for your talks? How do you find out what your audience needs? I do a lot of research. Nowadays, you can get online and you can research not only the organization, but the people in it very often, unless you're doing a big anonymous presentation at a conference. But then you know the topic area and you have a sense of where are these people coming from. So you can always find something to research. The more you know about where value lives for your audience, what are their key concerns or issues, the more you're going to be able to connect the dots of what you're offering them to the payoff for them. So online is good. Also calling up people in the organization 
see if you know anybody, go on LinkedIn, go on their website, for heaven's sake, see what their CEO says. What's he talking about or she talking about regarding vision and strategy? Where do they intend to project themselves? Is there some way that you can be of value to help them reach their goals? Wow, now you're... It helps you shape the words that you're saying, the organization of your message, and even the visuals that you may choose. Hmm. If you're not speaking a lot yet, like I know there are a lot of listeners on my podcast who want to speak more, they're interested in public speaking, but they don't get a chance to do it often. How would they keep these skills strong in between presentations? Mm-hmm. Low stakes scenarios is the way to go. You know, if you're going to play in a golf tournament, get to the driving range, get to the putting green, get to a place where the public isn't there taking your picture. So in the speaking world, that's at the dinner table with your family. It's standing at a bar with a glass of wine in one hand and a big, broad, smooth gesture with the other. Take your balanced stance that's so hard for so many people, men and women, to maintain and practice that. Every elevator I get into, Angela, I stand in a balanced stance. Even if I'm arriving in Paris at, at uh, 5 o'clock in the morning and I've been flying all night long, because I tell my classes, I practice in elevators, I'll do it. So find the low stakes scenarios where you can practice the skills where if you mess up or forget, it doesn't matter. Nobody even knows you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And practice one thought, one pair of eyes, pausing with the people that you're speaking to in small meetings, your friends, your family. Practice balance stance in elevators. Practice gestures while you're rehearsing your talks or while you're on the phone. Yeah. Oh my gosh, they don't even have to see them and you can be practicing. How would I show this on my invisible whiteboard? <laughs> I've been power posing for the last five minutes. Because <laughs> I always You're do ready my to take off. <laughs> yeah, I always do my podcast episodes standing up. So I thought I might as well just get in the X formation. So I've been <laughs> I've been standing like that since you said it. And I do feel great right now. And I was feeling really tired when we first started this conversation. And now I feel so energized. So I just want to give an endorsement <laughs> for Amy Cuddy and your advice. And I have awesome. one, Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I, I have one last question before we jump into the lightning round. And that is about your evolution as a coach. You've been teaching presentation skills for 21 years and I'm wondering what your philosophy or approach was in the beginning and how that has changed over time and what you really really focus on today given what you've learned and observed through the years mm. progress not perfection that's it for me it's continue to work and get better and better there And there's nuances to perfection. Perfection today may be different than it was two years ago. When I started learning how to coach people, there was a really specific way. There was an exact way that you should behave. And over the years, I've been informed by yoga, understanding neuroplasticity of the brain, understanding more about presence and connecting with your heart and the importance of that. And the other key thing for me is I truly thought it was about me in the beginning. 
I, I was convinced it was all about me. Don't forget, I was an actress that was trying to get hired. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the measurement of your success is did you get the job? What's really changed for me is looking outward toward where is value for this audience and how can I be of service to them? And that takes it off of me so much. Then I get to fulfill the role of being a gift giver Mm -hmm. instead of having something that I have to prove. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I totally agree because it is a dance. It's not just about you speaking at people. It's about connection and give and take and understanding and then building something of value. So I couldn't agree more. All right, let's jump into our lightning round. We have five quick questions with Pam. The first question is, what's the number one piece of advice you have for women who want to be well-known speakers? Just say yes. (laughs) Just say yes. Take action. Even if it's writing out a, a blog or adding something to your website, take the action to communicate your ideas. Your outward facing energy puts you out there and it attracts more opportunity. So it may not even be in a speaking situation, but it's you sharing your ideas and your viewpoint. And when somebody says, hey, would you come and do this? Say, yes, I will. And you would be surprised at how many of those opportunities lead to something else. Trust that there's something else coming. Yes. Number two, do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it? Mm-hmm. Progress, not perfection. I really, I am an, a born and bred perfectionist. That was my mother's voice. She made me pick out the broken potato chips and leave only the full ones when we would have a party. So that's what I learned. And wow. what I discovered was, <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? That sometimes you just have to say, yeah, that's good enough. Yeah. And do it. That's it. Mm. Progress, not perfection. Don't get stuck on it. Yeah. Number three, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? Pam, life is full of auditions. Show up 100% with your desire to get the role. Don't talk yourself down thinking that you're not going to get it and how will you survive the disappointment. Mm. Stay focused in the moment of the complete, I want this and I'm here to get it. Love it. Number four, what advice do you have for your 75-year-old self? Hmm. Don't stop doing what gives you joy in your life. You may have to find a new way to connect with people and a new way to bring your value, but don't stop doing what gives you joy. And number five, if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick? Wow. I think... I think my logo, a target with a heart right at the bullseye, Mm. because so much of where I've evolved is about focusing on the heart of the matter and targeting what's of value and speaking to the heart of the matter. I think that would have to be it. I love that logo. Mm. I love that. Lastly, what does it mean to you to claim the stage? Wow, claiming the stage. It starts on the inside. It's connecting with the value of your message to your audience. 
It's connecting with the audience through the eyes, the windows of your soul. It's seeing them get it. And it's it's expanding that. It's using all of your physical real estate, all of the space around you to embody your message. Mm, I love that. Is there anything you'd like to share with your with our audience, like any upcoming events or promotions or offers? Yeah, yes. I did a program one time where I was working with a group. They were from advertising. On It was a pro- program for women only, using language, dress, and delivery to communicate with power. And I was looking at that program I would be willing to share with anybody who writes to me and asks me for it the 13 pages of that workbook, which are about the languaging that we use. So this is the language that you want to avoid as a woman, the words of weakness, the words of qualifying, the focus on, I think, I feel, I know, I'm wondering where we make it the ubiquitous I instead of really talking about finding the right language to talk about the topic. So there's 13 pages. I'll send you a PDF. Write to me at Pam at P-E-M communications.com and ask me to send you a, a copy of that. And the last thing is I am willing to come and do a four-hour workshop at anyone who would bring me into their organization. And usually I charge $3,500 for that, and I will take $1,000 off. So if you bring me in for $2,500 to your organization, you can have from 10 to 20, and we could maybe negotiate a few more people for a four-hour workshop where we review how do you embody your message? How do you work with your delivery skills? How do you work with your voice? And you'll videotape yourselves on your iPhone. So you get a chance to see what does that look like? You'll have a record of it. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. How can we find more information about you? Well, check out my website at www.pemcommunications.com. Notice those are my initials, Pam Herb Melville. Right. (laughs) Makes sense. Well, Pam, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing so much insightful, thoughtful advice and experiences that will help our listeners to be better speakers and also more confident when communicating. Oh, Angela, it was such a pleasure. I admire so much the work that you're doing and the inspiration that you give to all of these women. Ladies, Keep sticking your head out there. Keep saying yes. And keep going back to the speaker sisterhood to get more practice. Thank you so much. You're more than welcome. It was a pleasure. Huge thank you to Pam Herb Melville. Hope you enjoyed our interview and took some tidbits away that you can take with you on your journey. I really love what she had to say. I hope you check her out online and follow some of her stuff. She is a pro and I think there's more more you can get from her if you check out her website and learn more. So that does it for me, you guys. If you liked what you heard here today and would like to recommend it to friends, please rate the show and review it on iTunes. It helps more people to find us. More people like all the people in the 67 countries. Imagine if we were in 100 countries. Let's do this. All right, that's it. <laughs> Signing off, as always. Stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.